This episode of the School of Last podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Al Smith. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a small, recurring monthly donation, log on to schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, Al. And we also have another sponsor. Hi, this is Leslie Norris Townsend, and I'm here to invite you to be a part of the Clean Comedy Challenge 2017 in Pasadena, California, and in Chicago, Illinois. This is our seventh year for this one-of-a-kind conference that includes three days of learning, writing, performing, and hanging with the pros in the comedy business. The Clean Comedy Challenge invites comedians of all levels for a chance to work on a real comedy stage with an added church venue at each location. Past attendees include Johnny W., Claiborne Cox, Marty Simpson, Andy Benango, Mike Paramore, Charlene May, and Todd Justice. So if you work clean or just want to work clean, go to www.cleancomedychallenge.com. When you register, make sure you mention the School of Laughs podcast so I know where you came from. Remember, there's no auditioning, limited space, early fee before May 1st. Come on, get on board the cleancomedychallenge.com train. Woo-hoo! Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. And thank you for listening to the School of Last podcast. And I appreciate the support through Patreon from listeners like Al Smith, who not only supports the podcast, but I reward those people who support the podcast through Club 52, which is a weekly email to help you get your business and performing and writing of comedy under control so you can blow it up and be out of control. Thanks, Al. And thanks to the Clean Comedy Challenge. You definitely want to check those out if you're anywhere near or can travel to Chicago or Pasadena. Uh, Leslie does a great job, uh, has some great talent there that is able to help you, uh, give you constructive criticism, and you know you get some stage time and some, some advice from the pros, so you can't beat that. Take advantage of those things if you can. Today on the podcast, I've got a friend of mine and a very funny guy, uh, Sean Reynolds. Sean is from Lexington, Kentucky. I first met him uh, maybe two, three years ago, kind of right when the podcast started. He was one of my first listeners, and I was passing through Lexington, and he put me on a uh, fundraiser show that he was doing to help people in the community who had fallen on hard times. Got to see his show, uh, a little sample of it at least that night. Thought he was very funny, and have since seen him once or twice at uh, different events, and just Two weeks ago, got to work with him at a fundraising event just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, up in Fairfield, Ohio, for a family that was going to go on a missions trip to South Africa. So we raised some money for them, got to see Sean's show and said, hey, in between your set and my set, let's go to the green room and get an episode of the podcast done so people can find out more about you. As you'll hear, there's no excuse for pursuing comedy. There's nothing that can get in your way if you really want to do it. Sean is a busy guy. He runs a retail store, putting in tons of hours there each week, getting up early, listening to podcasts in the early part of the day. And then he's got five kids at home. So there's no excuse if you got a lot going on and you think you can't do comedy. If you really want to, you can. And I think you'll get some uh, insight and some advice and maybe some tips from Sean Reynolds here in our interview this week. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you at the end. 
Well, I'm here with Sean Reynolds backstage at a uh, fundraiser show. We thought we'd squeeze in an episode real quick while uh, our good friend Johnny W. was on stage. We're just trying to find any reason to do something while Johnny W. is on stage, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. We've seen his show a lot. <laughs> right. It's always funny. Yeah, I'd hate to be into the, the one night where it wasn't. So we just come in here and just exactly. keep batting a thousand. <laughs> Sean, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. Going great. Glad it's to be for, here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I kind of found out about this show yesterday during lunch. Yeah. And Johnny's like, hey, uh, I'm like, where are you doing your show next? He's like, oh, I'm going to be just outside of Cincinnati. I'm like, well, I'm going to be on my way to Indianapolis. So it just worked out perfect to swing by and I just caught your set. You warmed up the crowd out there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good crowd. We're here for a great cause. So that's always exciting. And uh, yeah, it, it was a good, nice surprise you being here as well. You Unexpected. This, you haven't seen my set yet. Haven't so seen you, you yet. Yeah, you no. Can definitely change that opinion. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, man. I know uh, I've known you for maybe three years now. I'm trying to think. Did I just meet you the first time at Comedy Off Broadway during one of the shows? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, missing in between. I think you were featuring for Jeff Caldwell, if uh, I remember correctly. And then, and then we met up at CCA and the Christian Comedy Association conference. That's right. And then we did a fundraiser. We did, yeah. I, uh, I stand up for Kentucky. Yes. And uh, and I asked you to come down. And uh, You've done several of those, right? I have. Yeah, I've done uh, quite a few. And uh, it's kind of what my passion is. I've actually kind of had to stop doing them for kind of a list of reasons, but uh, it's something that's uh, not like officially closed down. But And that was you'd find a family in need. And <laughs> yeah. You know, with their permission, you'd let the TV audit, you would promote it and let people know, hey, this is a family we're going to help out. And the... You know, the support for those shows were really good. Yeah, it was uh, called Stand Up for Kentucky, and we'd find uh, families with children who were going through medical crisis. Mm. And uh, and so, I, you know, I have, a, I have a big family. I have six kids, and we've been very fortunate to not have any unhealthy kids. And, and so it was our kind of way of giving back. And, uh, yeah, we did. We started doing these shows for these families. And uh, and the comedy club, Comedy Off Broadway in Lexington, uh, was very generous and gave us a great deal so we could raise, you know, all the you know, all the funds could go to the family and uh, had some great comics show up like you like yourself and uh, and Jeff Caldwell and Mike Armstrong. And so, uh, and yeah, we raised a lot of money for a lot of families. So yeah, it was really, really cool. And uh, yeah, hope to get back to doing that very soon. Yeah. I know you're a busy guy. You just mentioned you've got a house full of kids. Yeah. So yeah, that, break that, it, you don't have to tell me names, but break down the ages. <laughs> the ages. Uh, okay. It's like, sounds like bingo. 17, 15, 12, 8, 8, and 1. Oh my goodness! And no free space. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> playing six pack there almost, man. That's a that's a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We have a lot of kids, and my wife is Irish Catholic, gotcha. and uh, and I'm a good little helper. So <laughs> put those two together, and we are the mini Duggers. So there you go. Well, I think it's people listening. I know you know comic. I'm included in that comedy crowd where sometimes you're like man I, I don't need to do this or i'm too busy to do this you've got a house full of kids and a full-time job i do yeah i work in retail so i have my own store and that's about 50 to 55 hours a week 55 hours a week yeah my goodness what time do you get in there on the average day uh i usually work six to four i work usually you know five five ten hour days that sometimes spill into 11 hour days so man. yeah six to four and the early part of the store's not open yet. You're just getting things lined up for the day? Or Correct. Yeah, we open at 9. And so from 6 to 9, uh, that's when I have my earbuds in and I'm listening to stand-up comedy and I'm listening to the School of Last podcast. I'm not, nice. just, saying, I'm not just saying that. I've, I've always told you it's the, it was the first podcast I ever listened to. And it, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, from 6 to 9, I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about comedy. Mm-hmm. That's my opportunity where I'm just doing work in, in the quiet. And uh, so, yeah, I listen to a lot of stand-up and think about stand-up. And like I said, listen to the School of Last podcast and... 
That's cool. And then the day kicks in. And then if you have any energy left at four, you go home, get a meal, and then maybe hit an open mic. Or- yeah, well, they got to deal with the kids first mm-hmm. and do something with the kids. And then, yeah, then, uh, you know, maybe a little bit less now this year. I've been doing it for seven years. Uh, but, yeah, the first seven years, man, uh, if there was a show, it didn't matter if it was a dive bar. And I'm a clean comic, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and my goal is to be, a, is to be a, you know, a Christian comic, a church comic. Uh, and so, but, yeah, so, like, if, if there's a dive bar doing a show, uh, I was there. You know, if it's an hour and a half, two hours away, I go do it, do my five minutes of clean comedy in a dive bar and, uh, and turn around and come back. And yeah. that's, that's what I did the first six years, pretty hardcore. That's great. And that's the grind you got to have. A, you know, a lot of people, we were just talking a second ago, they like to have full-time success with part-time effort. And it's, right. you've got to have that full-time effort for a little part-time success. Almost. That is very true. Very true. It's like, it's a lot, I always looked at it like uh, in two different ways. One, it's like, uh, it's like going to college, like you don't get to just become a doctor and a successful doctor one day. You have to go to school for eight years and you're in debt and you're working your butt off and then you get to become a doctor and comedy's a lot like that. You always hear that seven year mark. Yeah. And that's kind of when you kind of become a real comic or that's when you kind of kicks in for you. And yeah, those first seven years you have, you're going to lose money. You should be losing money doing comedy on gas money and right. driving and doing free shows and terrible shows because you know, that's the way it works. And that kind of ties in the second way I look at it is I always think about Rocky, uh, the movie Rocky movies and like how, uh, like Apollo trained in those dingy yeah. clubs, but he was like the best boxer. Right. And, and like, that's to me what the, those bar shows are, especially for a clean comic. Yeah. Uh, it's very much like going into the, 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 the training room in the club and, and, and working to get ready for the, the big stage. Right. And it's all about working those muscles and your technique and your writing and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and you, you know, sometimes I get the question, where's the best open mic in town? I'm like, the next one. Yeah, that's the, a great answer. Yeah. That yeah, is the that's really the truth right now. You need all that. And you might think, well, that's, those shows, the comics around that might affect my style. It doesn't have to. You've proven. You go in there, you do your thing. A lot of times you'll stand out because maybe nobody else was clean that whole night, you know, or maybe nobody else was positive that whole night. There's a lot of anger and discontent and misplaced uh, angst sometimes from a 19-year-old kid who's arguing about paying taxes, but he's still living in his parents' basement. There's just a lot of that going yes. on out there. You know I mean? <laughs> You're exact. I tell a lot of clean comics because, you know, a lot of clean comics and uh, especially church comics, um, that was a big conversation I had with a lot of like comics at CCA, and I kind of wear like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I I go to the the terrible places and I do my jokes about being in the crier room at church, and I talk about my kids and potty training and 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 yeah, like sometimes it's the opposite effect. It's like, whoa, this guy's completely different. Right. He's not doing sex jokes. He's not used the f word once. Uh, and uh, and yeah, you kind of do stick out. But I think more importantly though is that it it trains you you know, it just makes you such a stronger comic. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you go into that environment and you don't do well, you should be able to tell yourself, Hey, guess what? This wasn't my audience. That was just me training, going through the motions. But if it goes well, like if I go to a bar, I do a bit about being in cry rooms, for instance. And the first time I ever did that bit was at a horrible dive bar. And I went in and I'll, and, and the people, the comics in front of me were doing very well, but they were doing well with very dirty jokes. Mm-hmm. Anytime the F word set, said the crowd was exploding and I'm like, yeah, they're not going to like my cry room bit, but I just want to, I wanted to say the words. I just want to get it out, get the rhythm of it. And it did well. And when the cry room bit did well at dive bar, I'm like, well, when I go to a church and do this, it's going to destroy. Right. And that gives you a lot of confidence when you do go to the shows that you really want to be doing. There's that confidence. I don't have to have any butterflies in my stomach before I do that cry room bit in a church because it did well in a bar. Right. And for people that don't know what a cry room is, it's the place... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. It's a place in a church they take the babies if they start crying during the service. Because yeah. a lot of moms are afraid to put their babies in the church daycare right out of the gate. Right, exactly. Some are still nursing and some yeah. babies asleep. So they take them to the cry room when they act up in the big room. So Exactly, yeah. They should have that in a comedy club for comics who didn't do well. <laughs> you can't go in the green room and see your peers. you got to find the cry room. Around <laughs> the, find the cry room. Put the hecklers in there as well. Yeah, put the hecklers you say in one there. more thing, we're putting you in the cry room. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the penalty box at a hockey game. Exactly. It's the penalty box for babies. That's right. It's a two-minute warning, and we're going to see if we can take advantage of the situation with you out of the room. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. I like that. You know, it's true. that you got to go wherever you got to go to to practice. I started at places that are were pretty horrific. I just went back to one of the places, the actual place I started comedy in Columbus, Ohio, and just drove by it. Yeah, what was that? It was, uh, at the time, it was called The Lobby, but now it's like a sports bar, uh-huh. and it was in a, kind of a rough part of town. Right. I started at, my shows were at 10 o'clock on Sunday nights when I first started. <laughs> So you've got a crowd that's not there for anything besides a crazy time on a Sunday night. Right, right, right. Yeah, they have nowhere to be at 7 a.m. Monday. Right. Yeah, that's another good point. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> Actually, I did, but I fought through it. Right, right. But, you know, you train those things. I just, I've heard a great um, news story. This is this will relate in a second if everybody bears with me. But it was about this guy who – he was a Texas farmer, but he wasn't like the main farmer. He was he was in charge of the immigrant workers and their kids, basically. And so he would like school the kids or whatever, and but a lot of the kids wanted to swim. It was so hot in the summer and so dry. Mm-hmm. The only place to swim was in these ditches, basically right. runoff ditches. Yeah, I mean it was muddy and sloggy, and I can't imagine the amount of mosquitoes and stuff. But he taught these kids how to swim, and then he got them into a school on, in some way that uh, they had a, a regular pool, you know, and they got to train in there, and they were already so much better than everybody else. And a bunch of these kids went on to be Olympic swimmers. Wow! And like they in in college, that group of kids kind of stuck together. And they beat like the number one swimming team in the country. They were really close to beating them or something. But they had, they had practiced in, in this. Yeah, and they may have had malaria, but they swam right through it. Exactly. I mean, no kidding what they had. I can't <laughs> right. even imagine, You're you know, right. in toxic runoff and the, the, all, yeah. the, all the sprays and stuff. But they found a place to do what they wanted to do. Exactly. And he taught them breathing techniques that nobody else had ever taught before. Like, it's a really great book, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but I heard an interview with the author, and it's pretty wild stuff. That's such a great example. Yeah. But, but you, but that's kind of what comedy is. It's a slog. Right. It's like, uh, you know, you're coming up from the primordial soup, you know, and just kind of evolving out of that, and you're doing your thing. Yep. And and if you stick with it long enough, you've been bit, bitten by everything, you've suffered true. everything, you've it's been true. cut by everything, and you still are able to do it. And that's what the seven year thing is. Yeah. You know, at seven years, it's not that maybe you have written the best jokes, you know, they get better every year. It's you've experienced every situation or right. or most of the situations you will when you go pro so that when you do it, you've had a point of reference and you learned how to get out of it. And it takes a lot more to affect you. Absolutely. Yep. No doubt about it. That's cool, man. So you've got uh, all the kids are in Lexington. Great club yep. there, Comedy Off-Broadway. Fantastic club. Yeah, absolutely great. Gosh, I've been going there since like 94 yeah, when it was on Broadway, it's actually on Broadway. Yeah, and yeah, they moved it the Festival Market or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, Jeff Gilstrap used to run the club, and right? Then, uh, which who, which who? I'd never met Jeff, but you talk about somebody having like the best reputation in comedy. Every he, comic I've ever met that performed for him is like that was the best booker in the Midwest, right there. Yeah, he uh, he he. If you ask him for advice, he would give you very good advice. Yeah, you weren't always ready to hear it. <laughs> I remember that could be the best advice though right it was the best thing for me because i remember going in there and i was probably six seven years into it and i was they always had a house mc so um i went in with the improv group originally midwest comedy tool and die and we would do the whole 90 minute show mm-hmm. but alex bard who was the house mc first he would do like five or ten minutes and then so 
I got to know Jeff through that, and then I came back as a stand-up in the middle spot, and I was playing songs, and they weren't exactly clever, right? You know, and <laughs> I remember Gil Strap came up after the show. He goes, he goes, hey, you probably think you had a good set, didn't you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they were going crazy. He goes, well, this club we're not we're not trying to get the hoopers and the hollers and the yeehaws, uh, so probably next time you want to leave the guitar behind or write something a little bit more clever. Wow, uh, if you want to work here, I'm like. Duly noted. You know. but I <laughs> will will I be back here? <laughs> <laughs> Can I do tomorrow's show? <laughs> but he would tell you like it was, and then uh, I think it's important. Yeah, it's important. And a lot of comics, you know, uh, this current well last week's podcast or last podcast that came out, I talked to a Funny Business Agency. Yeah, and they talked to how how they're more than happy to give you some feedback if you ask for it. But so many comics don't ask for it, and they just assume the agency hates them or whatever. Right. But it, you know, at some point. You have some one-on-one time with the club manager, the owner, the booker. You just ask him, you know, from where your viewpoint, you've seen a million comics. You know, what's my strong suit? What's my weak suit? And what could I? What would I do better in this club? Adjusting, and they'll tell you because they want the show to go good. Yeah, no, those are the best people to surround yourself by. That's probably one of the biggest things that's helped me was that uh, in Lexington we have actually a really good comedy scene. Everybody's real, you know. It sounds like a lot of comedy scenes throughout the country are real. You know, caddy and everybody's got, you know, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of infighting. And Lexington's really not like that a whole lot. And, uh, but one of the best things that's helped my comedy career is surrounding myself by comics who we are not there to build each other's ego and pat each other on the back and say, great job, you killed. And then turn around and be like, he was the worst comic tonight. You know, surrounding ourselves by comics that were like, hey, man, you had a rough set. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know, like right out of the gate, a lot of people were like, Sean, like you talk so fast. You know, you didn't get, I think the jokes were good, but. You were talking so fast, we couldn't even understand what you were saying. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people are surround themselves by comics that say stuff like that. No, and that's funny. Like that was my big problem, and still can be if I yeah, don't, if I don't mentally adjust and slow right. it down up front. And I had a comic really straighten me out on that. It made a big difference. You know what I like <laughs> to say is, uh, it's not how many jokes you put in your act. <laughs> And get in there. It's how many jokes the audience gets from your act. Oh, that's a great saying. Yeah, I think you say that a lot. Oh, that's good. That's, I've been saying a lot lately, just not very well. <laughs> no, that's that's good. But yeah, I would say that that's been one of the big things that's helped me is um, is you know is going and doing all the terrible shows. Uh, which, by the way, if you're married, it also helps if you have a wife that's supportive of that. And so, luckily, I have that uh, a, a wife that you know believes in my comedy and knows what I'm trying to do with my comedy. Uh, so that's important. Uh, and then surrounding myself by comics who would not just say, hey, great job or whatever. That would say, hey, uh, you know, that would be a lot funnier if you tried this or here's why nobody laughed at that, Sean. Like nobody else. Like sometimes like I have six kids. So there's a lot of comedy there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nobody has six kids. That's very unusual. So you can only talk about that so much before the audience kind of loses interest. And so I've gotten feedback like that before. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, that joke didn't work. because, Like kind of like at the beginning of this podcast, I'm talking about cry rooms. And you know, you got, sometimes you got to give people a, a frame of reference. So I've yeah. gotten a lot of feedback like that. Like Sean, you got to explain that because nobody understands your frame of reference. Right. And so getting feedback like that's really positive. So I always encourage comics surround yourself by people that will give you honest feedback. It'll make you so much better. Yeah. And also sur- make sure you surround yourself with the right people and, and some people that are further down the road than you are. Oh yeah. You know, cause that's what I see a lot of open micers giving each other advice. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and, that's, and that's okay because you're learning how to give advice and critique. Right. But if you only get feedback from people that are at the exact same level as you, it's going to be harder to move up. It's great to write with them it's and all that true. stuff. But career advice from somebody that hasn't got a paid gig yet, might want to just take that with a grain of salt. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I guess it's good that with newer people listening to feedback that could also come from an audience member. Like, hey, you're going too fast. We couldn't understand you. That would be good. But yeah, you're right. Like joke structure. 
uh yeah it's a good point yeah and you know and the the feedback from the audience is key and that's why even if you had a bad show or maybe you had a show that you knew was bad but they didn't really know it was bad or whatever yeah it's kind of hanging out by the door and listening to what people say to you on the way out that's very true you know you gotta have thick skin but you know if you want to be offended you'll always be offended but if you want to learn you got to you want to hear some stuff that challenges the way you think so you can kind of grow a little bit. Yeah. I was pretty thin skinned when I first started out and, uh, and it hurt, you know, like, uh, but, but then you, if you, if you really have a goal in mind to get better, you learn pretty quickly that you're going to have to get a lot of feedback from people, not, you know, listening to the audience on stage, but also getting feedback and like, like for instance, and it's it's gotta be the right people too. Like my mom, my mom's the worst person to get feedback from. My mom's always like, you were just the best one tonight. It's like, mom, nobody laughed. Like I bobbed. Like I thought you did great. You gave the audience a well-needed break. (laughs) And you were clean the whole time. You didn't say one F word up there. (laughs) You were the best one. No, I wasn't mom. That's funny. So your parents do come see you? My parents, yeah, they live in Lexington. Uh, my parents were part of that comedy 80s boom. So they were always, like, that was their date night when I was a kid, going That's to the awesome. comedy clubs. Uh, they always went to comedy shows. I grew up with VH1 Spotlight, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Collins and Rosie, Bobby Collins. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, uh, watching, you know, what I could. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, stand-up was a big part in my house. And so, uh, yeah, so when I started doing stand-up, my parents were pretty fired up because they had spent a lifetime going to comedy clubs. That's great. Uh, and so, yeah, but, you know, could not get worse feedback from any two people because uh-huh. every show was amazing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a weird thing. And you're a parent now. So like, and you've got kids who perform and do plays and they're a great band. In fact, yeah. a long time ago, I don't know if I ever sent you the email, but I, I had started to write one. Like if, if your son ever wants to write a new theme song or something. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say his name on the front end and back end of every episode so people find his band. <laughs> yeah, he is in the band Johnny Conqueroo. And uh, yeah, they have for high school band, they have had uh, quite a bit su- of success you know, opening for Tesla and yeah. and my son's name is Sean also. And I always joke with people when they, when they think I'm a big deal in comedy, which I'm not at all, but sometimes people they see it like in the newspaper, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're like a famous comedian. I'm like, I'm not even the most famous person in my house. I'm not even the most famous person named Sean Reynolds in my house. <laughs> so That's pretty wild, man. That's great. So yeah, giving feedback, you got to kind of, you know, with my kids, I always say, you know, that was good. There's one thing you might want to think about. And yeah, you know, my son plays a little guitar, but he's also, he makes a lot of YouTube videos. Yes. And yeah. He so, sounds very talented. Well, thanks. I've seen these. He's, he's a fun guy, you know, and, uh, chip off the old block and we hang out oh, a yeah. lot, but I want him to, to excel at what he does. And he's, he is a sponge for feedback, you know, that's good. He's not one yep. of those kids that says, uh, I'm just doing it the way I want to do it. Right. No, <laughs> he might, but he's like, you know, is there some other way to do this that's faster or easier or better? Yeah, smart kid. Yeah, so he's cool about that. So it's great being an encouraging parent. Now that you're out, do your kids ever give you feedback on the stuff that you do? All the time, yeah. One of my favorite things about doing corporates and church gigs, and I do a lot of one-nighters, obviously, having a day job and six kids, uh, is I usually take them with me when I can. Uh, so that's really cool. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, my kids always give me feedback. And actually, I'm not a great comic for kids. So yeah, they do give me a lot of feedback, and they're tough. What I'm learning doing these one man shows, and and you would you know you're the expert on this, and you could probably confirm this. I've just started learning. When I'm doing these one man 45 minute shows, I'm the only guy. Is man, if I can start and spend the first three minutes just talking about the room, uh, whoever brought me up, talking about the company, if it's you know for, you know making fun of their company, you know in a respectful way. If you can do that for the first three or four minutes, and it, and it, what's funny about those jokes too is they don't have to be as precise. As your other jokes, it's like it's like a dartboard, and 
like when you do those kind of jokes, it's like you just got to get them on the dartboard. You don't have to hit a bullseye, but if you can get for the first three minutes, just get it on the dartboard about them personally. It's almost like I got them. I know now my 40 minute set or 45 minute set of prepared jokes are going to go well. But if I just go right into my act, not it's a little hit and miss. Yeah, it can definitely feel awkward to them too. Like this guy just got up there and just started steamrolling. Yeah, you know? I made that mistake early on. Yeah, I, I, do, I have a couple of tricks I use to kind of blend the beginning of the show from like for me when I get on a lot of times after dinner. So I've, I've got this three minute bit about high cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my audience. You right. Know? I close on it sometimes too, <laughs> but I'll, I'll kind of just bridge the gap by saying, Hey, keep it going for the, whoever brought me up from the company, the CEO. And, and you know, they don't get enough respect. How about a nice round of applause for the wait staff and the servers here that brought out your dinner? Man, it was so good. But, you know, I had to cut back because I've got this high cholesterol now. And it's like, right. it's a real yeah. gentle transition. Right. And then when the jokes start hitting, you know, they don't know their punchlines. They're laughing. And then all of a sudden, seven minutes later, they didn't realize how the show got started. It's just they're in it, you know? Right, right, right. So uh, yeah, I, that's good. I make sure everybody eats before I get on stage. So I can do right, you do that joke. <laughs> but there are times where they, they don't eat. I'm in the middle of a conference or whatever, and you got to pick up on something else. Like you say, the I've got some great ideas for what to do in this church here we're in tonight. Yeah, oh yeah, there was lots of stuff. Yeah, so I'm going to hopefully jump in on that. But yeah, it's about getting you know, letting them know that, hey, I'm here, you don't know me, I don't know you that well, but here's what I know about you. Right. And then they feel like, okay, Let's cut this guy some slack. He did a little bit of research. Yeah. You know, he just didn't jump right into it and barrel past us. Well, I think plus two, it's like a, uh, I don't know if I say it's like a, it's almost like respectful. Like, hey, I took the time to learn about you guys. And uh, and then people like to laugh about themselves and they like talking about themselves. So if you're up there talking about them as a stranger, that's pretty exciting. And, and if you can make it kind of funny, man, it's like a home run every time almost. Yeah. Now the difficult ones are, and I just got asked to do this, couple nights ago and it turned it over to somebody else and they didn't want to do it either but it was uh i was busy i couldn't you know i just (laughs) this company in san diego wanted a roast of their ceo oh and they're like uh there's two ways we can do this we can have you write all the jokes and have our our people on the board deliver them or you can come in here and just roast him and i'm like it's not going to work well either way right the amount of time that it's going to take to put into this now there's some guys i know that are great at writing jokes like that Mm -hmm. um but for me to sit there and all of a sudden break off two weeks to concentrate on the CEO of a company I don't know anything about. It's just, right. so I flipped it to somebody that lived in San Diego and he's like, yeah, it's not my deal either. <laughs> but that's another le- good lesson though, too, is uh, not taking shows that aren't a good fit for you. Yeah. You know, I, I made that mistake early on of just you know, wanted to do as many shows as possible and probably got in over my head a couple times. And, uh, you know, and then, and then also, uh, you know, so I've kind of learned to be a little bit smarter like that. You know, I got asked to like MC like a wedding reception and they wanted this high energy and get everybody pumped up. And it's like, that's not really what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think three years ago I would have said, Oh yeah, I'll be there and I'll do it. And then, you know, then I've, you know, I've maybe hurt, you know, and then you, you just never know. You might be hurting yourself long term uh, because those people, if you did a good job, they may have recommended you for something else. Or you go, you show up, you do a bad job. Now they're going to tell people, hey, don't book that Sean Reynolds guy. Like, right. that guy's terrible. It's a tricky thing. Like, you want to find shows that challenge you and make you work and make you think a different way, but you don't want to pick shows that you that are going to sabotage any momentum you've got. Very sure. You know, and and every, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. There's a one or two shows a year where I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> But up front, it sounded right. Then you get right. there and it's like, yeah. oh, this is not what we agreed to. Right, you know? right. And so you're in a position of not doing as well as you want. And then that, usually that word doesn't travel very much in the corporate, no, a lot of these corporate groups aren't connected to each other. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing 
an association or something where there is a lot of potential spinoff, right. it could it could hurt. But you know, you got you got to move the move it forward a little bit, mm-hmm. try some new stuff. Well, what do you want to do from here? You've seven years. Uh, you got a great job. I'm sure the insurance and stuff takes care of the family, which is a pretty Unfortunately, important thing. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they want to eat every day. Every day. All of them. They want to have dental insurance. They're real yeah. spoiled, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of comics think that, you know, if you're not full-time and only comic that you're not a comedian, but I think it's smarter these days, you know, if you if you can satisfy your comedy cravings and you're delivering on the show, if you're able to do that on top of a regular job that's providing for your family, that's... Yeah, I'm pretty fired up right now where I'm at because, uh, you know, know, my wife and I, we got married and had children young and, uh, you know, didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able, I I got an associate's degree, didn't get the bachelor's degree, so got into retail. So, you know, we've, we've always both had to work and it's always been our goal for her not to work. And, you know, you just go through life and you keep keep having kids and you got to stay at work. Now, we've been fortunate she works in a daycare, she's always taking the kids with her, but, uh, you know, we had our newest baby last year, and because of comedy, uh, she was actually able to go down to like part time. So she was working forty hours ever since we've been married. But now, uh, because of comedy, last summer we had the baby. She went down and she only works a couple days a week. That's great. Uh, and uh, and my comedy, you know, these two or three shows a month have been able to replace her income. And so that was kind of like goal number one was for her to be able to either quit work or just work a couple days a week. So I've already like hit one of my big comedy goals just right there and improve my family life. And, and uh, yeah, it's not been easy. It's not been easy, but uh, it's, it's well worth it. So, yeah. Are you able to work a few more gigs per month now that she's, yeah, Doing that's that. that's a big help. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I just I just do whatever gigs I can, and uh, and yeah, my goal, my big goal is just to continue doing the church and corporate because I don't, I don't I'll never be a club comic. That's uh, just not who I am, uh, and I think it's just important to know where you where you're at, and where your strengths are, and uh, I love being in comedy clubs. I love featuring, but I don't think I'll ever be a club headliner. I don't think that's just my brand of comedy. And I don't think I like the idea of being at a club for four nights in a row or something, you know, sometimes five nights in a row. So uh, it really suits my family life to do the one-nighters. And that's my goal is to do these church shows. And, and I also, uh, I really want to figure out a way to continue raising money mm-hmm. and doing comedy for a cause uh, because that's what I think I'm really supposed to be doing. And so I, I have some ideas. Like I did the stand-up for Kentucky. And I think I think the direction I'm going to go is to try to do more shows to help uh, kids in like foster care. And, you know, we adopted a, a, a child uh, when he was three who we thought may have been heading towards foster care and, uh, and getting a, and a glimpse into that, into that world of kids waking up and not having a mom and dad. Mm. It's pretty heartbreaking. And I think there's a lot of people that just don't know about it. And a lot of people are like, well, you can't, I can't afford a foster kid. And it's like, well, actually the state pays you. Most people don't know that. So I think that's kind of direction I want to take my comedy is to somehow try to help kids that aren't, that have no home. Uh, because I've seen the impact it's had on our family, you know, adopting a child yeah. that was in that situation. So that's kind of my, that's my hope. and That's my plan. And hopefully in two or three years, we can do the podcast again and I can report uh, great success with that, That'd with that game cool. plan. It'd be like the Foster Foster Brooks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without the bourbon. All right, I'm going to write that down. That's really, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Glad, glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean Reynolds, very funny guy out of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, check him out online. I'll link to all of his social media and stuff in the show notes so you can follow him. Uh, check out his videos and all that good stuff so you can see who you were listening to the past half hour here or so. Hey, thanks again to all the Patreon supporters. 
Uh, we're rounding the end of our first year of Club 52. I think we're on week 46 or 47 right now. And the good news is the instruction I've been giving to my fans and followers and supporters through Club 52 is going to be turned into a series of books. Uh, right now, I'm trying to manage uh, all the documents and all the different posts and blogs and uh, very specific instruction I've given over the, the majority of the past year. It's going to be a big project. Cross your fingers. It might get out before Christmas. But uh, if you didn't get a chance to sign up for Club 52, it's an ongoing thing. You can jump in at any point and start right there and get 52 weeks of access to the emails that come out. So, again, if you're just now getting into this or just now hearing the podcast, Club 52 can start today for you. And you'll be set up on a system where you get an email once a week with very specific insight. This particular week, we talked about how to get the most out of your video recording and uh, very specific tips on how to make that worth your while and your investment. And those are tips that you can use, too, I'm sure, if you're pursuing comedy. So check that out. Thanks again to everybody. If you haven't in the past, please leave us an iTunes review. I'm seven shy of 100, and I'd like to get there before the end of the year. I'd love to get there before the end of the month. 100 says uh, says a lot to the iTunes ranking people, and it helps us show up and help other people out. That's it for me. Thanks a lot for listening. I will talk to you guys next time on the School of Last podcast. Stay safe and stay Say it with me. Funny. The Clean Comedy Challenge invites comedians of all levels to have a chance to work on a real comedy stage with real comedy pros watching and privately critiquing you. It's Eddie Brill, Dwayne Kennedy, Dobie Maxwell, Jimmy Brogan, Dennis Regan. They'll all be on board for these private critiques and seminars. So you don't want to miss out. It's no auditioning, early fee before May 1st. Go to www.cleancomedychallenge.com. When you register, make sure you mention the School of Laughs podcast so I know where you came from. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.